Not too long ago, I got a great deal at Walmart on a backyard barbecue pit. I brought that thing home and got some wood and got the wood in there and just put the kindling in and lit it, and then I went back in the house. It was protected. It wasn't out in the open. About 20 minutes later, I look, and my entire backyard is on fire. I mean, it was the, the whole backyard had just it had crept across the whole yard, and my entire backyard was black. So I'm out there stomping it out, and I'm sure my neighbors are laughing at me. But that one little spark came out of that fire pit and set the whole yard on fire. What would it look like if we allowed the spark of God's Spirit to set our faith on fire? What would it take to ignite our faith? What would it take for one little spark from God and from His Spirit to light us up spiritually? What would it look like if somebody were living like that? What would it look like for somebody to walk through life on fire for God? Where their faith means everything, their faith comes out in every conversation, their faith helps them deal with every issue, their faith helps them deal with all conflict, what would that look like? Over the next few weeks, we're going to be going through a series called Ignite, and we're going to be looking at some different stories from Scripture about people who were on fire for God, people who caught that spark of His Spirit and lived differently from then on. What would it look like if we allowed that spark to get in us? What would it look like if somebody really, really believed that God would do what He says He'll do? What would that look like in our life? You know, there's a popular belief today that that if you believe something to be true, then it's true for you. And whatever I believe to be true, well, that's true for me. And if that truth leads you to Christ, that's great. If that truth leads you to Muhammad, that's great too. If it leads you to Buddha, that's great. If it leads you to pray over crystals, then great, because that's the truth that you found. And as long as you don't hurt anybody, and as long as you're nice to people, then you've got your truth, and I've got my truth. And that idea, that that will not work. That is false. Convictions shape conduct. Conviction-shaped conduct. How we act reflects what we believe. Just because we're convinced that something is true doesn't mean it's true. Just because we're convicted about something doesn't mean that it's true. We might be convicted about something that's true. We might be convicted about something that's false. Conviction does not shape truth. Truth shapes conviction. Gandhi said this, God is even though the whole world deny him. Truth stands even with no public support. It is self-sustaining. In other words, you don't have to believe in something in order for it to be true. Truth stands on its own. You don't have to believe in gravity for it to be true. You could say, I don't believe in gravity. I don't think it exists, but jump off the top of a building. And you will see that gravity is true. Gravity exists. 
God is real whether you believe him or not. Jesus Christ walked on the earth whether you believe it or not. The words contained in scripture reveal God's will for mankind whether you believe it or not. In John 14, Jesus said, I am truth. If you're not convinced of that, and you're not convicted of that, you're not convicted that God is who He says He is, and the Bible's true, and Jesus really walked on the earth, you're here, but you're not convinced of that, we're glad you came. We're glad you're here to check us out, because at the very foundation of what LifePoint Church does is we think, how can we help the person that's not convinced be convinced through relationships, through learning, through getting to know other people, and coming to know that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Some of us believe. Most of us here believe. And we're convicted that God is who he said he is. But we're straddling the spiritual fence, walking a line of compromise. A long time ago, a prophet named Elijah talked to a bunch of people who were straddling the spiritual fence, who had one foot firmly in the world and enjoying everything it has to offer, and yet would still keep one foot just kind of in truth, just kind of with God, just kind of in doing the right thing. And Elijah shows up on the scene and says, that is no way to live. A lot of people, a lot of people straddle the fence. What if today... What if today you decided to get off the fence and plant your feet firmly on the side of truth? What would that look like? What would it look like if we lived every day with conviction? Conviction is nothing more than it's a fixed or strong belief. What if that fixed or strong belief was in everything that God said and you lived it? What would that look like? A lot of people practice Christianity the same way we practice when we go to a, a big food buffet. We head over to Golden Corral or to Sweet Tomatoes, and I don't go to those because too many people touch the utensils, and you got to go wash your hands a lot. So, But those of you that do go to buffets, a lot of people treat Christianity like that. They go down the buffet, and they just get what they want. You just fill your plate up with things you like, and you leave the things you don't like there. And when you treat Christianity like that, you say, God, fill up my plate. Give me some great teaching. God, give me some awesome music. And God, I need a, I need a full course of blessing. And then for dessert, let somebody else clean the whole thing up. That's not how God meant for us to be. God meant for us to live with conviction. What would our lives look like if we took the whole thing, if we filled our plates full and believed what God said. That would be a faith that's on fire. Today, I hope this story that I'm going to share with you from 1 Kings chapter 18 helps ignite your faith. We do this every week at LifePoint. There's some folks coming down the aisles with Bibles. We believe that the words in there reveal God's will to mankind. If you don't have a Bible, we think it's important that you have one. If you forgot yours, take one. It's your gift. It's our gift to you. It's yours to keep. Look in there in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18, or also you can follow along on the screen. Some things that happened before we start reading in 1 Kings 18, 
We see in 1 Kings 18 that Ahab is king over Israel. Ahab is ruling the nation of Israel on behalf of God. But Ahab gets himself in a mess. He does what a lot of people do today. He married the wrong person. He married a person that God said, don't marry those kind of people because they will turn your heart after other gods. That's why God says, be careful when you're choosing a mate. Be careful. Ahab chose Jezebel. And forever the name Jezebel is tarnished to where I don't think you will ever meet a couple say, meet our new little baby. This is Jezebel. It's unlikely that's going to happen. Jezebel was a viper. She was evil. And Ahab was so smitten by her. He was so struck by her that he built idols to Baal in Israel. The people that were set aside to worship the one true God were encouraged to worship that God and to worship Baal. What, who's Baal? Baal was the God of lust. Baal was the God of power, the God of money, the God of possessions. And she had gotten her husband Ahab to agree to let the nation of Israel worship both. And that's when Elijah shows up on the scenes in 1 Kings chapter 18. Because Elijah comes to them and he said, because you are worshiping Baal, God is going to punish you. Jezebel had already killed a bunch of prophets because she didn't want to hear God's word. She didn't want to know what God's will was, so she just started killing prophets. And Elijah shows up on the scene and says, Stop worshiping Baal, or it's not going to rain for a few years in Israel. And he turned around and he left. Prophets did that a lot in the Old Testament. They came in and said, here's what God's going to do. And just so you don't confuse me and God, I'm going to leave. So he left town. And for three and a half years, no rain. And then he shows back up. And that's in verse 16. And that brings us to our first point about conviction that we can learn from the story of Elijah. And that is conviction always ignites conflict. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said, is that you, troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commandments and have followed Baal's. Elijah shows up with some conviction about what's true and what's not, about what's right and what's wrong, and immediately conflict starts. And we're a lot like that too. When, when we're confronted like Ahab was about the things he was doing wrong, what is the first thing he did? He didn't say, you know, Elijah, you're right. It's kind of dry around here. It hadn't rained. There's dead cattle. There's flies everywhere. There's no water. There's no streams. People are dying. So you're right. We shouldn't be worshiping Baal. Immediately he begins to blame like we do a lot of times when we're confronted with something that's wrong in our life as we start to point the finger somewhere else. It's kind of natural because when Adam and Eve were caught eating of the forbidden fruit and God looked at Adam and said, why did you eat that fruit? Adam did what we still do today. He looked at God and said, this woman 
you gave me. She gave it to me. It's kind of in us somehow that we play the blame blame game when we're confronted. So when conviction comes into our lives, conflict is going to be there. Conflict can be a good thing. Relational conflict, spiritual conflict, financial conflict are like big big caution signs blinking in our lives that say here is an area that needs attention. So the areas in your life where you have conflict, it could be an area that God is saying, give some attention here now. When we get off the spiritual fence of mediocrity and live with conviction, conflict could be right around the corner. But if you're on fire for God, when you experience conflict, it can help you grow if you let it. Elijah was unafraid. In verse 19, he said, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet with me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Baal was the male god. Asherah was the female god. It was 850 to 1. And Elijah wasn't afraid. Are you facing something in your life that seems insurmountable? Something that you think, there's no way I can get past this. Conviction about truth can help. Having your feet firmly planted on the side of truth and being off the fence, not being flirting with the things that we think will bring us pleasure, But having our feet firmly planted with God, saying, God, I believe what you said, not because it makes sense, not because I like it, but because you're God and I trust you and I believe it. When our feet are firmly planted there, conflict is easier to handle. Conflict also sends a message Verse 20 says, So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Conviction ignites conflict, but it also sends a message. If you want to get a message to me or I want to get a message to you, there's probably about 40 ways you can do it. There's cell phone voicemail. There's text messages. There's instant message on your computer. There's voicemail at home. There's the old-time paper message that somebody sticks to your door, and you've got email. Plenty of ways to get messages to people today. We're just always sending messages back and forth to each other. Well, we send messages with our lives. The way we live sends a message. People watch and people observe and they want to see conviction. So when people look at your life, what kind of a message are you sending? You know, maybe... Today, you're the person that's put off accepting Christ because somebody lived a hypocritical life in front of you. They didn't live any different. They didn't act any different. And the only thing they said different is, I go to church. Maybe somebody like that has sent a message to you that all Christians are hypocrites. That's not true. Maybe your hypocrisy has kept somebody else from coming to know who Christ is. We send a message with our lives. And people look 
to the believers, to the Christians to say, what is this Christian life all about? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What's it going to be like for me if I give my life to Christ? Am I going to be like this person? Am I going to act like this person? Am I going to talk like this person? I've been privileged to be a part of a lot of people coming to know Christ and meeting people that have given their hearts and lives to Christ and put their faith and trust in Him. And almost every testimony, the great majority of the testimonies say, when they tell the testimony, they say that a person first introduced them to Christ. They name people. They name names that they have in their memory. When I think of the people that were influential in my life to help me get to know Christ, names start names and faces pop into my mind. Are you in anyone's mind as a name or a face, as someone that sends a message of conviction? Who you send messages to? Your boss, your employee, your neighbor, your teammate, your coworker, your parents, your friends. We all send messages with our lives. Conviction also sparks a decision. Conviction sparks a decision. In a few hours from now, everybody's going to be in the car, and you're going to look at your husband, your wife, your family, and you're going to say, where do you want to go to lunch? How many of you have the spouse that always says, "Bad, eh, wherever, wherever you want to go, it doesn't matter to me. And how many of you are sitting there saying, just once, just once, would you please just say somewhere, I'll do it, just give me an answer. The nation of Israel, they were looking at God and saying, whatever, it doesn't matter to me, we'll worship God, we'll worship Baal. They've both got value. We'll, we'll do either one. And Elijah shows up and he says, you need to just make a choice. You need to choose who you're going to serve and stick with it. And this is how he said it in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. He's asking them, how long are you going to stay on the spiritual fence and keep one foot with Baal and trying to have one foot with God? And he silenced them. There was nothing they could say because they knew where they were. They knew they had a foot on each side of the fence, and they knew what they needed to do. And we also need to decide today, are we going to get off the fence, stop walking the line, Fill up our plates. Take off the mask of hypocrisy and live a life with conviction. How long, God asks, are you going to chase after the things that were never designed to fill you up? How long are you going to let the world get its hooks in you and you think it's going to fill you up, but it doesn't? And God says, how long are you going to live like that? Baal worship just didn't jive with the worship of God. And longing for the things in this world does not jive with the worship of God. So Elijah told them, I'm going to show you who's in charge. I'm going to show you who's more powerful. If you think Baal is the way to go, here's what I want you to do. Go get two bulls. I'll take one. You take one. We'll cut them up. We'll build an altar. And in verse 24, he says, the God who answers by fire, he is God. So on this Mount Carmel, there's two 
big altars. And there's 850 people on this side and one person on that side. And Elijah says, okay, get Baal to answer. And they cried out all day, Baal, answer us. Baal, give us an answer. God of power, God of lust, God of money, give us an answer. And they cried out all day long. And they thought that this Baal was going to answer them. They thought this Baal was going to give them a full life. And then, for the first time in all history, somebody starts talking smack. In verse 27, Elijah says, it says, At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. I mean, I could see Elijah like, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's just deep in thought. Maybe he's on a trip. And he just can't hear it. Maybe he needs to be awakened. And they continued to yell. And they continued to plead for Baal to answer them. And he didn't. And it says there was no response. And it goes on to say, no one paid attention. No one paid attention. Got any fishermen out there? Anybody love to fish? You know, I had a fishing lure, and when I knocked that thing over, it went down in there somewhere. I'll have to get it later. But imagine I'm holding a fishing lure. You know what the job of a fishing lure is? It's to deceive. It's to lie. It's to convince a fish that this is a, a tasty treat coming up. It's to go through the water in a certain shiny way so the fish goes, Ooh, that looks good. Think I'll have a snack. And the fish gets so focused on the shininess and the way it's moving and becomes so attracted to it, the fish never notices the hooks. And by the time he notices the hooks, he's already on his way to get mounted on the wall. Our lives can be like that. We cry out, success, fill me up. Relationships bring me meaning. Promotion bring me contentment. Money make me feel better. The next house make me feel like I've always wanted to feel. The next conquest in life make me feel the way I always wanted to feel. The next thrill, the next million, the next trip. And we search and search and search after those things. And they look so good, but they're like a fishing lure. When we got a hold of them, we never notice the hooks hanging out of them. Because those things will not bring contentment. Those things will not answer what your heart really craves. The story ends with 850 prophets of Baal against one prophet of God. And here's what happens. In verse 32, with stones, Elijah, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and dug a trench around it long enough to hold two seas of seed. He went a little further and said, I want you to dig a trench. I want you to fill that trench up with water. And pour some water on it. I know there's been a drought, but go ahead and pour some water on it. Pour a little more water on it. Well, do it a third time. Make sure that bull and that wood and the whole area is soaked. Because what's getting ready to happen, Israel, is going to blow you away. 
There's not going to be any doubt. You're not going to wonder where this fire is coming from. So Elijah began to pray. And he called on God. And verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God had to do something dramatic to get their attention. And a lot of times in our lives, when we choose to walk the line, when we choose to sit on the fence and not have our feet firmly planted on the side of truth, God has to do something dramatic to get our attention. God has to do something to convict us so we can live a convicted life So our conviction will spark a decision in us. And the story ends with the Israelites seeing that Baal worship is nothing. That Baal has no power. Even when it's 850 to 1, Baal has no power. God plus one human being always equals the majority. No matter what you face in your life. No matter how long you've been on the fence, and no matter how hard you might think it is to get off, get with God and you will be in the majority. Even if you're standing all alone, if you're with God, you represent the majority. Let this story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 ignite your conviction. Let it ignite in you a desire to get off the fence and get off the line and stop just filling up your plate with the things you like and the things you want, but also the things God wants. The next few weeks, you're going to hear from people who lived a convicted life. You're going to hear stories about people who truly lived with conviction, who allowed the spark of God's Spirit to come in their lives and change them forever and ignite their faith. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for this story of Elijah and the way he was so convicted about what he believed and how you answer our prayers and how when we try to try to find answers in somewhere else but you, God, we always go wrong. But when we look to you, Father, you will always send the spark of your spirit and ignite our faith. And I pray this in your son's name.